Hello, and welcome to Conversations from the World of Allergy, a podcast produced by the American Academy of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology. I'm your host, Dave Stukas. I'm a board-certified allergist and immunologist and serve as the social media medical editor for the Academy. Our podcast series will use different formats to interview thought leaders from the world of allergy and immunology. This podcast is not intended to provide any individual medical advice to our listeners. We do hope that our conversations provide evidence-based information. Any questions pertaining to one's own health should always be discussed with their personal physician. The Find an Allergist search engine on the Academy's website is a useful tool to locate a listing of board-certified allergists in your area. Finally, use of this audio program is subject to the American Academy of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology Terms of Use Agreement, which you can find at www.aaai.org. Today's edition of our Conversations from the World of Allergy podcast series will offer a wide-ranging discussion and unique perspective from the current um, Academy President, Mary Beth Fasano. We are pleased to welcome Dr. Fasano to today's episode. Dr. Fasano is the current president of the American Academy of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology, and her term ends at the conclusion of the 2021 virtual annual meeting, which will take place from February 26th through March 1st, 2021. Dr. Fasano is a clinical professor of internal medicine and pediatrics at the University of Iowa Hospitals and Clinics and holds her faculty appointments through the Carver College of Medicine in Iowa City, Iowa. Dr. Fasano is the program director for the Allergy and Immunology Fellowship Program at the University of Iowa and has held multiple leadership roles in national organizations throughout her distinguished career. Dr. Fasano has wide-ranging clinical and research interests, including various allergic conditions and immune deficiency. And with that, Dr. Fasano, thank you so much for taking time out of your very busy schedule to join us today, and welcome to the podcast. Wonderful. Thanks so much, Dave. Pleasure to join you today. Oh, we're, we're thrilled to have you here. Um, and you know, you've spent the last 12 months or so serving as the president of the American Academy of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology. What has this year, unlike any other for all of us, been like for you in this role? Well, challenging, <laughs> but exciting, fun, truly invigorating, I, I, um, a professional growth opportunity. And as you said, Dave, a year like no other, not only for me, but, but for all of, all of us. And I think aside from the pandemic and its global impact, I wouldn't have traded this year for anything. Um, the help of my family, my, my colleagues here at the University of Iowa and elsewhere, the staff, uh, our board of directors, all of our other volunteer leaders really made this year. Um, and um, I love working within teams, and it really did give me the opportunity to work closely with all of the team um, to, I think, um, achieve a lot for the Academy uh, this year. And despite the COVID year, I think, you know, we stuck to our mission, and it was a privilege having a chance to um, to support the specialty, to support the organization, uh, support um, all of us who practice allergy immunology and providing care to the patients we serve. Mm, but yeah. let's hope that the COVID year does not continue for, for too much longer. Oh, Time my goodness. Sir. Yeah, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> I, I hope so as well. <laughs> Uh, now I know in a, in a typical year, uh, there's a lot of meetings, and you know the board of directors gets together throughout the year, and you have calls and things like that. But can you offer us a glimpse behind the scenes? You, on average, how many conference calls do you think you have as your role as president throughout the week? 
Um, too numerous to count. <laughs> how, about, how about if I just say that? But, you know, it really has been a shift for all of us in how we do business. We truly have missed um, the connectivity and the dialogue that, that can only occur in an in-person type setting. But moving beyond that, I do think it was amazing what we could accomplish via conference calls, Zoom meetings, Skype, FaceTime, um, just using different virtual modalities to continue to um, provide direction, meet mission, um, advance initiatives, and as best we could, truly stay connected on both a personal as well as a professional front. Yeah, it, it's been remarkable. I mean, a year ago, we didn't even know what Zoom was, right? And <laughs> here we are. It's a part of our lives. <laughs> it's our whole life. But, you know, I don't know if it's better or worse than, you know, sitting on the tarmac waiting for that flight <laughs> that's been delayed. Or, you know, I tell you, being here in Iowa, a lot of my flights um, connect through Chicago. And I have to say, I'm not so sure that I really miss being stranded <laughs> in Chicago O'Hare waiting for that uh, connecting flight that's delayed. So maybe oh. that's been, that part I have not missed, the travel delays. Yeah, maybe we should just uh, spend the rest of the time talking about all the things we don't miss. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I digress. So if you don't mind, I'd like to give our listeners a glimpse into your personal career path. Uh, you, you've taken a very interesting journey as you progressed along your academic career, starting with a Master of Science in Public Health degree from the University of North Carolina prior to medical school. And then you also completed a one-year research fellowship in infectious diseases at Wake Forest University prior to starting your fellowship training. So if you could give us some insight, you know, what got you interested in allergy and immunology in the first place? And how did these different experiences ignite your passion? You know, I was never one of these uh, individuals who knew from the get-go what I wanted to do. So I think I've probably had an interesting and rather diverse path. Um, and a lot of my initial experiences actually tweaked an interest in infectious disease. And I thought that was going to be my path within medicine. But I pretty quickly learned that I was not fascinated by what I'll call bug and drug. And I don't mean to marginalize the, mm -hmm. what an infectious disease specialist does. But I wasn't a bug and drug person, and what I found that fascinated me was actually host defense against infection, immune deficiency, immune dysregulation. Um, and both as a medical student and then as a resident, I had a chance to actually work with patients who had DeGeorge syndrome, Wiscott Aldridge, SCID, CGD. And um, I, I just gravitated so much to... Um, the intricacies of those diagnoses, the unknowns, and, and actually the pleasure of working with those patients and with their, their families. And then for, in, in addition to that, additional experiences, um, I had opportunities to work with patients with atopic dermatitis, food-induced um, anaphylaxis, FPIs. I had seen patients who had fatal or near-fatal asthma and realized that those were all also immune-based disorders. And I so much enjoyed the underlying science 
as well as the care of those patients. And that's how I finally found my found my path. I still so much value the interactions I have with my infectious disease colleagues, but I have to tell you, I have never regretted the day that I decided on allergy um, immunology. Uh, one other piece I'll actually throw in that um, that I have truly enjoyed about AI is its depth and breadth. I love being able to do everything from the big A to the big I and everything in between. I love during my day as a practicing allergist immunologist to work with things that are common and uh, for which treatment modalities are readily available and, and can be um, life-changing for individuals to then the other spectrum where something is very rare, very complex. Um, there is no cure. Treatment modalities that are available are um, certainly not, not optimal, but I love that range. The other thing that I love, and, and, and sometimes I call this womb-to-tomb or cradle-to-grave medicine, <laughs> is that I love being able to see patients of all ages with allergic and immunologic disorders. And Dave, I think you know, similar to yourself, I trained in pediatrics, um, but um, I truly have enjoyed the opportunity to work with adult patients um, with allergic and immunologic disorders. I would never want to be an internist, but mm -hmm. I love doing allergy immunology across the age spectrum. And it, it, it also affords the opportunity to be able to care for family members. And so there have been times when I'll have um, the children as well as the parent, as well as maybe even the grandparent. Um, and I um, find that very rewarding. Oh, that's great. And your passion is, it, I mean, it, it comes through everybody who interacts with you along the way. And I appreciate you giving some of that background as to how you got to where you are. But now as we shift gears, you know, you could have just, uh, you know, hung up your shingle and <laughs> said, okay, Dr. Fasano is the you know, allergy and immunology practice, but you didn't. Um, and you've held multiple leadership roles in, in various national organizations, including the American Board of Allergy and Immunology, of course, your role as president of the academy, and then also roles within the ACGME. Can you offer some insight? into lessons learned through your involvement in such a high level within various organizations and, you know, maybe what took you on that path as well? Oh, sure thing. But Dave, I do have to mention is, believe it or not, I did hang up my shingle mm. for a period of time. I don't know if you knew this. I um, joined a wonderful practice, um, uh, community practice in North Carolina uh, for a period of time. And I, I have to tell you, I think I learned more from that experience than I certainly did during my fellowship and really learned a different skill set and appreciated the additional challenges that a practicing allergist immunologist has when they are in a small community-based setting versus in um, a large academic medical center. Thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. But, you know, for reasons that are still sort of difficult for me to describe other than perhaps just my gut feeling is that I always felt drawn to um, an academic home. And so um, returned to an academic role at, at Wake Forest after a little bit of a, of a hiatus, which again was a wonderful opportunity for me. Um, within um, 
academics, although I had initially started in a uh, lab-based bench career, um, which I enjoyed, but, you know, I just wasn't smart enough <laughs> to be that funded um, clinical investigator or that funded scientist. So my career path then shifted to truly a focus on, um, I guess I'll say sort of medical education and um, allergy immunology-specific medical education. So when opportunities arose for me to work um, within the American Board of Allergy Immunology and with the ACGME, it really resonated with me because it clearly provided an opportunity for me to con contribute to um, allergy immunology education and training both from the ACGME standpoint, which obviously is focused on um, um, accrediting programs to assure that they provide the most robust uh, uh, learning environment for our trainees. And then continuing along the spectrum, working with the ABAI to um, assure um, that there is um, accountability and certification for our fellow graduates, and then certainly that concept of lifelong learning, which I'm a big fan of through the ABAI's Maintenance of Certification Program. Now, the different um, organizations that I've had the privilege of working with all have different missions. And so um, when one serves on the board of directors or on a committee within those organizations, the roles and responsibilities are different. And I enjoyed that diversity. It um, helped me to grow and develop uh, additional leadership skills. And one of the most rewarding things for me was having the opportunity to get to know, work with, and learn from other fabulous leaders that um, we have within the specialty of um, allergy immunology. And I would certainly encourage um, those who might be listening in, depending upon your interests and your career path, um, opportunities to serve on the ABAI or, or the ACGME if you are um, a current program director or have been one recently are absolutely wonderful ways to contribute to the specialty. Mm. And, and, you know, I, I appreciate that background as well as you pointing out that, you know, each organization has their own mission and values and different structures and things like that. But as you've gone through your path, have you adopted or do you have any philosophies or core beliefs that you personally utilize in your leadership roles? Um. You know, I'm not sure if they're necessary Fasano, necessarily Fasano philosophy <laughs> or core beliefs, but I will say, and maybe these are more sort of um, lessons learned, which have helped me to form a philosophy, if you will. And I think that the, the first thing is um, it's okay to make mistakes. Mm. And believe me, I have made many, but the goal is is that you learn from them. And that truly does enable um, professional growth. The other thing in, I think, in leadership roles is um, developing and maintaining a culture of trust. And I think, again, this goes back to um, it's okay to make mistakes. Um, 
it is important to feel comfortable sharing an idea or a thought, even if it goes against quote unquote dogma, even if it may differ from what another um, senior leader or member of that board might have. Um, in with respect to this concept of a culture of trust and mutual trust, the other piece is to feel comfortable acknowledging that it is actually, it's okay to disagree. What is important is um, to listen, to try to understand uh, why someone else may have a differing opinion than yours. And that actually conflict resolution or best decision or best, best pathway forward, it does come from having dialogue, having discussion where people don't um, always agree. Um, so I don't know if that's uh, a core belief or a philosophy, but sort of something that I've, I've learned throughout uh, the years and in my various um, leadership roles. Oh, no. It, and uh, I think that makes a lot of sense. And, I, you know, one of the things that I've noticed by working with you this year through some of the roles I hold within the academy is that I've really been struck by your keen listening skills. So I'm not surprised at all that you mentioned that. Um, and I believe that many of us, myself included, most of the time, we spend our time waiting to respond, you know, thinking through what we're going to reply to that person's talking to us rather than actually actively listening when others speak. So along those lines, do you have any tips or, you know, is this something that you've actually worked on or has this just come naturally to you? Um, probably a little bit of both, Dave, with respect to coming naturally. I, I, I love to um, uh, hear ideas from others, but I've also had to work at it a little bit because um, it, it's not just the listening part. It, it's that subtlety of trying to um, understand the words that the individual is speaking and put it into the um, appropriate context. And so that, I, I don't know if that makes sense, but it's a slightly different concept than just the listening piece, but that trying to um, interpret or put it into context and then using that when one proceeds with comments or reflections on um, what someone else has brought to the table in discussion. My husband, of course, would tell me that I don't listen well, that <laughs> I talk too much. But, you know, I tell you, the home environment may be a little bit different from the, from the professional environment. <laughs> I think we can all relate to that. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, um, well, you know, to switch gears a little bit, we're recording this in mid-February 2021 as we head up to the annual meeting. And recently on February 3rd, uh, we celebrated National Women Physicians Day. Uh, and during your term, it really marked the first time in history that the president of both the American Academy and American College of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology were women uh, in the same year. Not to mention our colleague and allergist immunologist, Susan Bailey, who's also president of the American Medical Association at the same time as well, which is truly remarkable. Can you share your thoughts on important issues regarding gender inequity in medicine, academics, and our specialty? Well, Dave, first, thank you for uh, recognizing National Women Physicians Day. Um, and it truly is um, 
wonderful to um, see Luz Bonacir and uh, Susan Bailey and their leadership roles. And I also should mention that I, for the first time, certainly within the academy, we are going to have back-to-back women presidents. Mm-hmm. So I am very excited about being able to turn the gavel over to Giselle Mosnayam on March 1st and when she assumes the role of academy president. So that's another exciting piece. I tell you, um, uh, I've got gray hair, as you <laughs> and many others may know. But, I, you know, things have changed so much. When I started medical school, Dave, there were only nine, that's nine, other women in my medical school class. Mm. Things have dramatically changed. I think, as you know, you've seen the data where now more than 50% of uh, medical students are women. Within allergy immunology, close to 70% of um, individuals applying to allergy immunology and in AI fellowship training programs are women. And in fact, I think um, allergy immunology has a higher percentage of women in it than dermatology, obstetrics, and gynecology. We, and we may be just a, a little bit behind, um, behind pediatrics. So there has truly been um, tremendous growth as, as women have um, uh, seen the many rewards that a career in medicine can bring. And um structure, although slow to change, has certainly begun to change to um, uh, recognize and truly value the contributions that women can bring to medicine, can bring to not just allergy immunology, but other fields within um, within medicine itself, and also, within leadership positions. It takes time to grow. There is still an unfortunate amount of disparities or inequities uh, within not only academic medical centers, but I will say large hospital systems or even leadership roles within large community practices where um, they tend to still be um, male predominance with respect to those in higher level positions, but things are are changing. And I think the future is bright. Um, and I look forward to more women um, uh, opting to look at, at leadership positions in a variety of different uh, venues, um, both within their sort of local communities as well as perhaps at a state, national, or even international level. Mm. Yeah, I agree. And I, it's nice to see gradual growth and and um and i hope that we can gain momentum and and drive long lasting change in this realm uh with folks such as yourself and as you mentioned with dr most coming on after you as well now at this time i'd like to read an excerpt from your faculty page on the university of iowa stead family children's hospital website and there's a quote from yourself which says i like to talk i think that is one of the other things i enjoy about patient care It is my own way of connecting with the patient or the family and talking about their disease process and getting to know them personally. So with that quote, can you expand upon that and offer some perspective as to how that has really helped you care for patients? Well, you know, Dave, maybe it's the um, 
Fasano version of personalized medicine or the <laughs> Fasano version of shared decision making, if I could use maybe sort of a trendy terms these days. But, um, you know, truly one of the things that I have enjoyed about my career in medicine is not just knowing the facts in order to make a diagnosis or knowing a, um, a diagnostic or treatment algorithm, but actually the challenges and fun of applying that knowledge to direct patient care. And um, not as we all know, patients are all different. Families are all different. And um, it's that piece within medicine that I have absolutely, truly enjoyed. And in order to do that, um, being able to talk with a patient, a parent, a family member, and learn more about what a particular condition means for them, barriers to care, reasons for um, difficulties with adherence to medications, um, I enjoy the challenges that that brings, or those aspects bring, and then working uh, to try to do what I can to advocate for that patient to um, to help them to help them to thrive. So um, I don't know if that makes makes sense, but um, it does. It does. And um, do you still see patients now? And if so, how often do you do you see them in the? Either oh, absolutely, setting? I do. I'm very involved in direct patient care, and I do. I see both um, adult and pediatric patients. Um, in our um, medicine and pediatric specialty clinics here at the University of Iowa. I also do inpatient consults. Now, I will say this uh, year as president has uh, been, shall I say, a little time consuming. Mm -hmm. So my wonderful colleagues here at the University of Iowa have really stepped up to the plate and um, uh, assumed more clinical responsibilities to enable me the opportunity to to work within the academy. So my time on inpatient call consults is, has been much less this year, and a lot of what I do in the clinical setting has been more um, staffing our fellow continuity of care clinics um, than my own staff clinics. But um, you know, that's one of the I love seeing patients. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have no doubt that you will not necessarily like me revealing this, but you hesitated a bit when I invited you to be a guest on the podcast, specifically when I suggested that we you know, discuss broader issues pertaining to your personal career. Uh, and I saw this as an opportunity to really use your path as a way to highlight opportunities for others as well, uh, as, as you are a source of inspiration for many people. And along those lines, would you be willing to share some words of wisdom for our fellows in training or junior faculty members who may be listening or really anybody along the spectrum of their career and how they may want to get more involved in the academy or professional organizations uh, or and really anything related to advocacy along those lines? Oh, sure. You know, I guess the first thing I'll mention is um, uh, everyone has their own uh, personal professional uh, goals and interests, and for some, it may be that um, uh, looking at uh, leadership roles within um, organized medicine or participating in those type of things just might not be something that's on your radar screen, and that is absolutely that is absolutely fine. But for those who might have an interest or maybe aren't sure about that, I think sort of step one is just explore. 
explore opportunities within the academy, our other national allergy organizations, or even within the AMA or the American Academy of Pediatrics, those type things. That's a really fun thing that you can do as a fellow in training or even as a new allergist. Um, the academy truly does have opportunities to get to know um, uh, what it is like to um, uh, be involved in um, organized medicine within the fellows and training committee. We also have the new allergist immunologist society and, or uh, assembly, excuse me. And we have um, within both FIT as well as NIA, you can serve as a liaison to um, a variety of different uh, activities within uh, committees and uh, so on and so forth. So there are opportunities there. If you're not sure exactly sort of where to go, your program director or other mentors could probably provide you with some ideas or suggestions, your fellow fellows as well as um, fellows who have graduated from your program might be able to um, suggest a committee you might be interested in joining and introduce you to uh, leadership within that committee or, or other individuals who serve on that particular committee. And then start small, and the committee um, structure, I think, within uh, the academy is a great place to start. You can attend uh, their meetings, start to network, begin to participate, and then the next step might be to actually volunteer to assist in a, a particular activity, and then you can grow from there. I do want to mention sort of one sort of specific thing is sometimes it might be felt that if I'm not in academics, if I'm not uh, involved in publishing or, or having research grants or something along those lines, um, you know, there's not an opportunity for me um, to um, be involved in volunteer leadership within the academy. And that is absolutely not the case. I want to make sure that everybody knows about the RSLs, the Regional State Local Allergy uh, Asthma and Immunology Societies. That is a wonderful, wonderful group that is there to help to connect you both at your local community level as well as with your state allergy society and then also can help to connect you within the academy if you have an interest in advocacy, which is so absolutely critical. I mean, it's always been critical, but I tell you, I think I've learned a lot during this COVID year what we need to do to advocate for the practicing allergists, to advocate for the patients that we serve. Um, there is so much more work that we need to do. So if any of the listeners out there have an interest in advocacy, reach out to the RSLs, reach out to our advocacy committee. We need you. We want you. And that is a real way to have an impact on the specialty and contribute. Mm, wow, that's wonderful advice. And I, I can't agree more with especially your advice to just reach out. Uh, it really is very easy to get involved. That's, you know, the, the path I follow with my career. And I'll never forget when I walked into my first committee meeting at, at one of the annual meetings probably almost 15 years ago. And I was struck by the number of people in that committee. Uh, you have some of the biggest names in that in that field of research and the ones giving the talks at the annual meeting. And you also have, you know, practicing allergists and everybody's voice 
uh, counted the same and everybody interacted uh, in a very collegial manner. And uh, that really struck with me. And that's been you know echoed ever since then with every single thing I've been involved with. So I agree. It, it, there's multiple ways to get involved. It's just a matter of knowing who to, who to reach out to and, and taking that first step. You've mentioned a couple of times about, um, you know, what a busy year it's been. Uh, and you have, you know, so many commitments as president and then also with your academic appointment, everything that you're involved with. Uh, and I have no doubt that you receive multiple requests for your time and involvement, more, many more requests than you can, you know, say yes to. Do you have any type of process to evaluate each of these requests and help you decide whether to say yes or no? Uh, you know, any, any pearls that you can offer the rest of us who have a hard time struggling with that? Well, Dave, first, I have to acknowledge that I might not be the best person <laughs> to answer this question because I have been guilty of taking on too much too soon at the same time. Mm. And, uh, you know, I learned from that. And, um, you know, you just really, you do need to to, to pick and choose. And a path to do that is, you know, step one might just be it's a great opportunity, but you know that you have other commitments that would um, conflict with that activity at this time. So it is absolutely okay to say no. What you can also say is that um, the, the opportunity at this time just don't, won't work for me right now, but please keep me in mind in the future. I'd love to be able to participate or contribute to this activity, um, but the timing is just not right right for me. Um, I am also, the other thing I think one should think about is um, what your personal passion is. So if you are approached with opportunities to do multiple different things, it is okay to be selfish and to select the activity or the opportunity that resonates best with your own uh, personal passions um, within within medicine, whatever that whatever that might be. And um, again, I think uh, pace yourself. And just because you may um, decline an opportunity at one time, that doesn't mean that that door is not going to open again. I think that we are all um, individuals where if we sign up to do something, we want to be able to do a good job. And in order to be able to do a good job, you have to be able to commit the time. Mm -hmm. So again, it's okay to say no, but the door will always open again if you let people know I'm interested. Now is just not the right time for me. Mm -hmm. It's always better to under-promise and over-deliver, right? There you go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, along those same lines, what do you personally do to counteract your busy schedule? Do you have any uh, ways that you like to relax throughout the week? And I realize that you know, asking you this in the middle of the polar vortex with snow and <laughs> the middle of the COVID nineteen pandemic and everything else going on, that you know, it may be a tough thing to answer. But you know, how do you how do you balance everything? You know, I will say that actually the pandemic and the bitter cold weather have sort of shifted what I do. But with that said, you know, I'm a pretty simple kind of person, nothing glamorous. I actually do live um, within walking distance of my office here at the University mm -hmm. of Iowa, and I love walking to work in the morning and walking home at the end of the day. I get my exercise and it and it helps me to kind of gear up in the morning and then relax after the end of 
sometimes often challenging days. And even in the midst of winter, oh, man, it's all about how you layer. So I've got my face shield and my extra gloves and my boots, and I can I can do that as well. I also love to cook. I'm not mm. saying I'm a good cook, but it's <laughs> just, it's just um, you know, when I get home, uh, having a chance to um, – just cook something. It's an opportunity while I'm cooking to um, uh, visit with um, visit with my husband. Get caught up on what our days have been been like. And uh, I don't like the cleanup, but the cooking mm-hmm. and eating part is always a lot of fun. And um, Dave, excuse me, but am I correct? You are also at a Big Ten school. Am I correct? That's correct. That's there right. you go. Yes. So it's believe the Ohio State University. The, I, I know. Yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> well, let's not go there anymore. But I will say is actually I have enjoyed watching sports. And so um, I um, oftentimes I don't know a lot about all the rules within the different sports, mm-hmm. but I do enjoy watching football, baseball, basketball, tennis, um, horse racing, golf, even even uh, car racing or whatever, <laughs> bit by bit. So sometimes if I'm going to turn on that TV, I do find watching sport, sporting uh, activities to, to be fun and relaxing. So you're a normal person then? Uh, yeah, thank you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, uh, you know, it, um, well, so if I may, if, if you had to pick the one recipe that you tend to go to, um, you know, more often than not, what's your comfort food? Where, where do you find yourself? Okay. I'm going to make this over and over again. Cause it brings me great joy either to prepare or eat. <laughs> oh boy. You know, that one is a, um, a tough one, but what I will just say is you, you can tell, I guess, by the last name Fasano, I have <laughs> some Italian in me. So most of my cuisine uh, uh, features um, Italian flavors and things like that. So there really isn't any sort of one um, specific type recipe. I do like to experiment a little bit. And unfortunately, I'm also the cook where you know dinner's ready when the smoke alarm goes off. I have been known to, I do, I love cooking with an iron skillet, high heat, but unfortunately, I, uh, it is probably truly at least once a month, I will set the smoke alarm off if something I'm cooking on the stovetop. Oh, that's funny. Oh, that's great. Uh, well, you know, you've been very generous with your time. So I want to kind of be cognizant of that and wrap up here over the next few questions. But I, let's shift gears now to the, the annual meeting. Um, you know, we, we've had the last two in-person Academy annual meetings interrupted due to the pandemic. And we're going to now go at least three years in between in-person annual meetings. What do you think is going to happen to the, the future of these annual meetings? Do you think that this is going to forever change the way we approach these? Or uh, do you think we'll just go back to the way things were a couple of years ago? You know, um, it is absolutely hard to predict, but I do not think that we will go back to exactly the way things were before. But I'm I, honestly, I'm just not sure. Mm-hmm. I think that all of us have missed the personal connections and excitement of being all together at a convention center in a city and networking and and the. Um, and, and some of the unique aspects that an in-person can bring, or in-person meeting can bring, excuse me. And so it might be that once we get back to that, will people flock back 
to the in-person meeting. Maybe, but also maybe not. I, I think that, and, and maybe I'll call this a silver lining, is that not only the um, academy, but the college and other, um, the Clinical Immunology Society, other national organizations have all shifted and have had to have host, hosted their um, annual scientific meetings in a virtual format. It's been a wonderful growth opportunity to learn how we can provide relevant content and provide it presented in an engaging way that uh, provide, addresses knowledge gaps, um, provides um, an opportunity for individuals to learn something that is going to change how they practice or that they can implement in their practice. And there really are ways that we can do that virtually. So whether we will move to some type of hybrid system, I don't know. That wouldn't surprise me. Um, I do think that outside of um, big annual meetings, that we will definitely be looking at virtual formats for other type of educational and CME opportunities. An example might be the joint board review course or some um, typical sort of what I want to say, standalone meetings that we might have had in the past, um, that some of those may move more towards a uh, virtual format. But mm. we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, wait and see. Although I'm sure that all of us will be missing uh, sunny San Diego, <laughs> oh. <laughs> where we're supposed to be for this year's annual meeting. Oh, I that. know, I know. But you know what? For 2022, for, for Giselle's meeting, we're going to, hopefully, we will be in, Phoenix mm -hmm. for the 2022 meeting. So. Yes, yes, I, and I hope we're all there together. <laughs> yes, I do too. <laughs> well, um, you know, we had um, Len Becarrier on last the last episode where he's the chair of the annual meeting program yep. committee, and he walked, walked us through everything that we can look forward to during this year's virtual annual meeting, which will take place again from February 26th through March 1st, 2021. What are you looking forward to during these four days? Oh, my. Well, actually, I will say I'm looking forward to learning a lot. And because we are in a, a virtual format and how we have shifted um, how we incorporate committee meetings, board of directors meetings, and other things into those four days, believe it or not, I will actually have the opportunity <laughs> to attend sessions and get CME, whereas before, you know, when we would be meeting live, so much of what we did on the board of directors is we were in committee meetings, leadership meetings, uh, running from one end of the convention center to the next that we often didn't have a chance to actually participate in as many of those learning opportunities as we would have uh, liked to otherwise. So this year, I am looking forward to to that. I'm excited about uh, my presidential plenary, um, congenital disorders of immunity, how research drives clinical practice. And I'm just thrilled to have a great group of folks joining me at the virtual podium, if you will, for that. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's going to be a... Um, a wonderful learning opportunity for everyone. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I hope folks will join in for our special uh, awards ceremony where we can really take some time to recognize and congratulate our volunteer leaders, our grant recipients, um, just really all of those individuals who have done so much for the Academy and the specialty 
this past year as well as in prior years. And, you know, I did tell you earlier, I walk to and from work, so I am participating in the rock run walk i will mm. be walking not running um but that's going to be it's a little bit of a different format this year but uh i hope folks will participate in that as as well yeah there's there's a lot to keep everybody nice and engaged and busy throughout the weekend and uh you know it, even though we're not all there in person for me personally it's still comforting just to hear some of those familiar voices and see those faces that w- that we know from our colleagues and and friends from across the country and across the world and it'll be nice that we can all at least be virtually in the same place all at the same time. Sure. Uh, well, what comes next for you after a busy and challenging year as president of the American Academy of Allergy Asthma and Immunology? Oh my. Well, you know, probably taking a deep breath, <laughs> relaxing just a little bit, but um uh, you know, I am really looking forward to becoming a member of the Past Presidents Club. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is really no such thing. I made that up, but I'm looking <laughs> forward to that. <laughs> um, passing the baton to uh, Giselle. I'm so excited about her upcoming uh, presidential year. And again, I have just so enjoyed the opportunities for um volunteering within the academy. And so I look forward to continuing to work in particular with um, the Office of Medical Education uh, within the academy. And, um, you know, I certainly um, see that as uh, some ongoing uh, um, uh, opportunities for me, Um, not necessarily in a leadership role, but in an ongoing way to be able to uh, contribute, learn from others, and advance the specialty. Hopefully you'll get to take a nice, long, deep breath and some time off before you jump back in again. (laughs) (laughs) I know, I know. Thanks, Dave. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Dr. Fasano, I really can't thank you enough for taking time out of your very busy schedule to join us today, and I really enjoyed our conversation. Uh, Before we depart, do you have any final thoughts for our listeners? Well, no other, but my final comment is actually a big thank you to you, Dave. You have done such a fabulous job as the social media editor for the Quad AI. Uh, if it wasn't for you, I, I um, would not have um, started to um, listen to podcasts and um, take advantage of a really the fun and the uh, learning um, environment from the podcast venue. So thanks to you. And um, I've really enjoyed having the chance to visit with you today. Oh, this is great. And this was, uh, am I correct in saying this is your first time as being a guest on a podcast? It sure is. <laughs> well, what do you think? How did it go? Well, I I had a great time. And uh, <laughs> as a uh, host, you do such a fabulous, fabulous job. So truly enjoyed it. Thank you. Oh, well, thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed listening to today's episode. Please visit www.aaai.org for show notes and any pertinent links from today's conversation. If you like the show, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast through Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify so you can receive new episodes in the future. Thank you again for listening.